The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Our teaching text this morning comes from Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Good to be with you this morning. Uh, So Lindsay and I went on our first date a little over six years ago. She thought I was cute, so she asked me out, and we went to her sorority formal and just had an absolute blast. We didn't really know each other uh, going into the night. We'd kind of met a couple of times, had some mutual friends, but we, we just hit it off. We were so infatuated with each other right away, and we were just so interested in each other. And so the night, the formal itself was a blast. And then afterward, uh, we were living in Columbia, South Carolina at the time. We were both students at USC. And so after the formal, we went down to the little river walk that's right there in downtown Columbia. And I think we hung out there for about four hours, just talking about life, just hearing one another's stories, what we've experienced up until that point, who we were, what we were interested in, our likes, all of that kind of stuff. I think we got down to the river around 10 p.m. And I don't think we left until 2.30 or 3 in the morning. I mean, we were just so infatuated with one another. All we wanted to do is talk. All we wanted to do is converse and get to know one another. Now imagine that in the past six years, since that first night, while that first night was great and we had so much good communication and talking and all of that, and imagine that for the next six years, we didn't talk at all. We talked very rarely. We didn't really share life together. We didn't really converse. I think we would all just know that it was not a very healthy marriage. We didn't have a very good relationship if we were even married at all. We know that it wouldn't work. Why? Because every relationship with any depth to it, with any solid foundation to it, requires communication. Think about your friendships. Think about your family relationships. Think about your marriage. If you're married, any relationship with any solidity to it requires time and conversation. This is how you build a relationship. You sit together, you spend time together, you dwell in one another's presence. Communication is so crucial. This week, we're in week three of our series, Rhythms and Formation. We're talking about what it means to be with Jesus, that as his disciples, when we abide with him, when we spend time with him, we're formed away from the world and towards the image of Christ. And today, the spiritual practices we're looking at are our means of communication with God. We're talking about Bible reading and prayer. Bible reading and prayer are our tools of communication with our heavenly father. And these practices are so crucial to our spiritual formation. They actually inform and are central to all the other practices. So these other practices we're going to talk about, Sabbath, fasting, feasting, silence and solitude, all of these are informed by and help create space for God's word and prayer. Bible and prayer, they create a two-way street of communication with God. God speaks to us through his living, breathing, active word. God reveals himself to his people. He tells his story, and then we respond in prayer. We hear from God through his word, and then we respond by bringing our requests, our cares, our anxieties, our desires, and praise and worship to him. How we hear God talk to us, Bible reading through his word, and how we talk to God 
in prayer. That's the two spiritual practices we're going to look at. It's a, a little bit of a two-part sermon this morning. Let's talk about Bible reading first. Bible reading. Before we jump into how Bible reading forms us and is a part of our spiritual formation, I want to take just a second to talk about what the Bible is. If you've got a Bible, go to 2 Timothy 3. We're going to look at a few verses there. 2 Timothy 3, specifically 14 through 17. Paul writes, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And now from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So Paul here is writing a letter to Timothy. We actually studied his first letter to Timothy earlier this year, and this is the second one. I want you to notice some things from this passage that Paul says the Bible is. First, in verse 15, he says, sacred writings. It's the first thing we see about the Bible is that the Bible is not simply one book, but a collection of books. The Bible is not one book, it's a collection, 66 to be exact. And these 66 books were written across a period of about 1,500 years by more than 35 human authors in different, three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. In the Bible, what you have, these collections of writings, is split into what is known as the Old Testament and the New Testament. And testament is an old English word that means covenant. So you can actually translate it as the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. A covenant is a promise God made with his people about how he would relate to them. So there's the old covenant, how God would relate to his people before Jesus came, and the new covenant, how God would relate to his people after Jesus came. And this splits the Bible, Old Testament, Old Covenant, the way that God related in New Testament, the new covenant. Second thing we see about the Bible is continuing on in verse 15. He says, sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So the first thing we see is that the Bible is not one book, but a collection of books. The second thing we see is that the Bible is all about Jesus. The Bible is all about Jesus. Well, the Bible tells so much about the history of the nation of Israel, while it encompasses so much wisdom of life and practical guidance and tools and all of that, the Bible first and foremost is the story of God. It's the story about what God has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. Your Bible is not primarily a book about humans. It's not just a book that tells you how to live, a book that has some life principles or some business practices or some good health self-help tips. The Bible is about Jesus. That's why Paul says here, it's able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The whole of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation is meant to point you to Christ. One of the areas in the scriptures we see this is in Luke 24. After Jesus dies on the cross and rises again, he's walking on a road to the city of Emmaus and he's talking to two men and he's teaching them from the scriptures. And we read this in Luke 24, 27. It says, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. The best way to think about this is that the Old Testament is promises about Jesus made by God, and the New Testament is promises about Jesus fulfilled by God. The whole of the scriptures is about 
Jesus. It points to Christ. It's all about him. He is at the center. And this should inform how we read our Bibles. So think about uh, if you were to pick up your Bible and you were to read one of the Old Testament stories, maybe uh, Genesis chapter 22, the story of Abraham and Isaac. It's a semi-famous Bible story. God promises Abraham that he would have many descendants and God would make him into a great nation. But Abraham hasn't had a kid yet. And so an angel of the Lord shows up, says, Abraham, you're going to have a son. Finally, God delivers on his promise. And Abraham has a son and he names him Isaac. And then just a few years later, God actually calls Abraham to take Isaac up on a mountain and to sacrifice him. And right at the last minute, right before Abraham sacrifices his son Isaac, God provides a ram caught in a thicket to be the sacrifice in place of Isaac. It's a crazy, intense story, Genesis 22. And and we read that story, and no doubt there's some lessons to learn about our testing of our faith, about the way that God challenges us and calls us to trust in him and to hope in him. But ultimately that story is not about us. We're not meant to read it and to put ourselves in Abraham's shoes. We're meant to read that story in Genesis 22 and go, look at this picture of Jesus. Jesus, who the Bible calls the Lamb of God, who was sacrificed in our place. We're supposed to get glimpses of Christ in the midst of Genesis 22. The Bible is a story about God about what he's doing in the world, about Christ who was to come and then did come and then will come again. But we read when we read the scriptures, it's not primarily us approaching the Bible with this attitude of what can I learn or how can I do better or or be better. We're supposed to read the scriptures with the posture of how do I see Jesus? The whole Bible points to him. Third thing we see about the Bible in 2 Timothy 3 is in verse 16. Paul writes, all scripture is breathed out by God. This is the third thing we see. The Bible was written by both God and men. The Bible was written by both God and men. The Bible is not just a collection of writings by men who were talking about Jesus. The Bible has what we would call dual authorship. It was written by both men and God. Here in 2 Timothy 3, it says it's breathed out by God. In 2 Peter 1, it says men were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What that means is that when the authors of the Bible, men like Moses and Paul and Peter and John and others sat down to write, they were doing so with their own knowledge and their own personality, but the Holy Spirit was working in such a way that the words themselves are exactly what God wanted written. This is God's revealing of himself. This is a revelation of himself. It has dual authorship, both men and the Holy Spirit. This is God speaking. So many of us, I think, think things like uh, when we're wrestling through a situation or a decision or just feel stuck, we think things like, man, I just want God to speak to me and to tell me what to do. Like, I just want him to show up and I want him to, to speak. And in some ways I get that. I get what we're saying, that we want him to, to have the writing on the clouds. We want him to hit us in the face with what our decision should be. But I think oftentimes we forget that God has spoken. It's in his word. God has revealed himself to us. He's given us his will. He's given us his calling. He's given us his design for the world and for our lives. And it's in his word. It's in his scriptures. This is why we trust that the Bible is inerrant or without error or fault. That's why we let the Bible be authority in our lives over what we think or what we feel because it's it's God's words. It's not just a bunch of men sitting in a room writing something down. We know and trust this is the word of God. And so it's the authority in our lives. The Bible is our authority. Case closed. 
The Bible is our authority for our lives. The Bible is the authority for our church. And what that means is that if we find that our lives are contradictory to the scriptures, if we read the Bible and then we look at our lives and we say, these things are off, we don't change our, the Bible, we change our lives. Let me say that again. If we read the Bible, then we look at our life and we realize these things don't match up. If our lives don't match up to what we see in the Bible, we don't change the Bible. We change our lives. It's our authority. We bring ourselves up underneath it. We submit to what God says in his word. The Bible is the authority for what we do and what we believe and what we practice as a church. It governs what we do. It governs how we're set up. It governs how we worship, how we teach all of these things. The Bible is our authority. Case closed. That's how it's going to be. That's how it should be in our lives. Fourth thing we see about the Bible is in verse 16. Paul writes, all scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the fourth thing we see. The Bible helps us experience spiritual formation. The Bible helps us experience spiritual formation. All of the Bible is useful and helpful for being trained up in godliness, for experiencing deep, rich spiritual formation. What that means is that we don't read the Bible to simply read the Bible. We don't just go, all right, I got five minutes. I got to get my time in. I got I to go for it. I got to check this off the list. No, we, we sit with the spirit of God and the words of God change us and shape us. And now we actually go do what the Bible calls us to do. We think how it calls us to think. We believe how it calls us to believe. We go to the Bible to be shaped and transformed and changed more and more into the image of Christ. We actually learn to not just read the Bible, but to study it, to memorize it, to meditate on it, and then to go do it. In Matthew 7, during his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uh, tells this pretty famous anecdote about building a house on the rock instead of building a house on the sand. And, and I think you probably have heard this before. It's one thing that we love to run to whenever we're uh, uncertain in our lives. We love this idea of, yeah, I'm going to build my house, my life on the rock of Jesus. I'm going to put my hope in him and my trust in him and my faith in him. I'm standing on the rock. I think what we miss sometimes in that passage is how Jesus starts verse 24, Matthew seven. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. It's about doing, it's about obeying the words of Christ. Not just reading them, not saying, yeah, the Bible's got some good stuff for me. Yeah, totally. But actually taking what the Bible says, submitting our lives to it, seeing how it points to Jesus and actually living it out. That's how we build our house on the rock. Now, that's what the Bible is. Here's why all of this matters to you and to me and to all of our spiritual formation. I heard this stat the other day. Uh, it was from 10 years ago, so who knows how crazy it is now. But 10 years ago, researchers found that the average American consumed 100,000 words of information every single day. The average American consumed 100,000 words of information every single day. This doesn't mean necessarily that we read 100,000 words, but that 100,000 words cross our eyes or our ears in a single 24-hour period. Now, to help you put that in perspective, so far in this sermon, I've said about 1,700 words. So that's 1 58th of what you will consume today. That is a crazy amount of spiritual formation, 
right? Just through pure consumption of content, emails, texts, phone calls, in-person conversations, TV, social media, ads on the side of the road, everywhere. We're just constantly bombarded with message after message after message. And the overwhelming majority of those 100,000 words, because you live in the secular West and a world broken by sin, screams at you that you are the master of your own destiny that you are the commander of your ship, that you are at the center of your life, that life is all about you, that you're supposed to live this way and think this way and believe these things and worship this and put your hope here. You see, the world has a narrative. It's not neutral. It has a story that it is trying to get you to live into with you at the center, with you as the main character, the end all be all, with your life and your goals and your dreams as what's most important with you as the ultimate authority in your life. And we're shouted this message over and over and over and over throughout the day. Yet God has a different narrative, a different story of the world, a different story of your life where you're not at the center, God is. Where you're not the most important thing in the universe, God is. Where you're not the ultimate authority in your life and what you do, God is. Where you're important and your life matters and you're created in God's image and you have purpose and meaning and value, but ultimately you're a supporting character in the story God is writing. You're not the lead. But we have 100,000 words every day screaming at us to not believe this, to believe that we are the center. We should build our lives on us and what we want and what we desire. And so it's no wonder that we feel shaky. It's no wonder that we feel uncertain. It's no wonder it feels like we're blown and tossed by the wind. So what do we do? I think Psalm 1, 1 through 3 speaks directly to this. Look at it with me. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers the voices of the world yelling at us, go this way, go this way. The, we don't, the, the walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of scoffers, just constantly do this, go this way, think this way, believe this way. We need to resist the voices of the world. Look at what it says in verse two, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. If you want maturity in your faith, if you want rootedness for your soul, if you want to be able to push back against the lies and deceit of the devil, if you want to be able to stand firm on the rock of Christ, whatever comes your way, if you want to be able to say no to temptation, the question for you is, is your delight in the law of the Lord? Do you love his word? Do you treasure his word? Do you go, you know what? Everything else around me is shouting at me to go this way, to think this way, to believe this way. Everything else around me is telling me that up is down and down is up. I need the steadying voice of God in my life. And that comes through the Bible. I need his infallible, unchanging, always true, always powerful, spirit breathed words. This is why you need to hear this. Your Bible reading is not actually about your Bible reading. Here's what I mean. Your Bible reading is not about checking off some to-do list box. It's not about getting up in the morning and searching for some feeling within you from reading a Psalm or some other part of scripture. The goal of reading the Bible is not some emotional experience or just getting pumped up to face the day. If that's your goal, 
Can I just tell you, you're never going to have a sustained rhythm or habit of scripture intake because that feeling is fleeting. Sometimes it'll be there and sometimes it won't. That's not the goal of getting in the scriptures. The goal of Bible reading is to get the inspired word of God into our heads so that it changes the way we think. And as we meditate on it, as we think on it, as we study on it, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it moves from our head into our hearts. That We would love God more. We would love his commands more, his word more. We would love what he calls us to love. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, it would move from our hearts out into our hands. And we would actually do what he calls us to do. We would take what he says in his word and actually apply it into our lives. And so the point of Bible reading is day in and day out to sit before the Lord and go, God, what do you have for me? What have you spoken in your word that you have for me that it might, it, it might impact my head and my heart and my hands little bit by little bit. And so it's not about some feeling we get that day. It's not about some emotional go for it euphoria we want that morning. It's about steady little bit by little bit being shaped more and more into the image of Christ. There's so many tools, tips, practical things on our guide, rhythmsandformation.com. You can get our Bible reading um, practices, tools, tips, ways for you to actually start memorizing scripture, meditating on scripture, praying the scriptures, all of that. Things will be really helpful. That's all the practical stuff on there, rhythmsandformation.com. Let's go to number two. Let's talk about prayer. So if God's word is learning to hear from God, then prayer is the reverse. It's our communication to God. Go to, go to Matthew chapter six. Same thing we do with Bible reading. I want to show you some things about prayer. We, before we talk about how prayer forms you and shapes you, let's talk about what prayer is. So Matthew six is Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. And as he does it through what is commonly known as the Lord's prayer. This is Matthew six, nine through 13. Jesus says, pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. A couple of things I want to show you about prayer in this passage. The first is in verse nine. Jesus says, pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Here's the first thing we see about prayer. Prayer starts with the gospel. Prayer starts with the gospel. Jesus starts his teaching on a prayer by telling us to pray our father. This is a shocking invitation of prayer. Prayer, like everything else in the Christian life, begins with God. Our state, because of sin, is not God as father, it's God as enemy. We are anti-God, separated from him because of our sin, because of our rebellion and disobedience. We cannot call God Father. He is holy and we are not, so we cannot be his children. But we know the good news of the gospel is that God made a way. He sent his only, only son to live the perfect life that we could not live and yet die the death that we deserve so that by grace through faith, through us repenting and turning from our sins and believing in Jesus, we are now called sons and daughters of God. So because of that, we have the invitation, the Bible says, to approach the throne of grace with confidence, that we can actually go to him as our father. The gospel makes a way for prayer. Prayer starts with the gospel. We can approach God as our father. Second thing we see about prayer is in verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Second thing we see about prayer is that prayer aligns our hearts 
wills, and desires to God's. Prayer takes our, our hearts, our wills, our desires, what we're longing for, what we're hoping for, what we want to see happen, and it aligns it to the heart of God, to what God purposes and desires and wills in the world. Prayer, prayer means asking God for his will in our lives and in the world. Prayer means seeking your kingdom come. God, your kingdom, your rule, your reign spread more and more in my life and in the world around me. And this is, this is important to understand. Prayer is not just bringing our requests to God. It totally is that. We're going to talk about that more in a second. But prayer is not simply going, okay, I want this thing. I want to see this thing happen. I desire this thing to happen. So I'm going to ask God and God better say yes. That's not the totality of what prayer is. Prayer in a beautiful, beautiful way also takes our hearts and aligns them to God's will. You see, God has purposes. He is accomplishing and bringing to fruition in the world. God has things he wants to do in your life, in your neighborhood, in your friendships, in your workplace, in this city, in this state, in this country, in our world. We have, and we have things that we want to see happen in our lives, in our neighborhoods, our friendships, our workplaces, our city, et cetera, et cetera. And prayer is not only the means by which we ask God for the things we want to see happen, but it is a chance for the Holy Spirit to bring what we desire into alignment with what God purposes. This is sometimes why feels like God isn't answering your prayers because we come to him with what we want and what we desire. And his answer is not yes. It's actually no. I have different things and different desires because I see more than you do. And I know better than you do. And so instead of giving you what you want, let me shift your heart through prayer to be aligned with what I'm accomplishing in the world. Sometimes we go to God and we're like, God, I want to see this happen. God, would you do this? Would you show up in this way? And sometimes God says, no, let me shift your heart and show you what I'm doing instead. Sometimes we approach God and we ask him for a different job. And God instead shifts us to see that he's accomplishing something in us and through us, through our current work situation. Sometimes we approach God and we, we ask him to alleviate this anxiety, this pain, this pressure, and instead God shifts us to see he's accomplishing something and he's working something else out in the midst of it. Prayer is not just the means by which we present our requests to God. It is, and we'll talk about that in a second, but it's also where God shifts our hearts to be in line with his. So sometimes the way that he says yes to our prayers is for getting us not to desire that thing that we're praying for anymore, but rather to desire his will and his kingdom above all else. And then it changes what we pray for and shifts what we ask for. Third thing we see about prayer, verse 11, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The third thing we see about prayer is that we're invited to pray as little children. We're invited to pray as little children. I love the simplicity of these requests. Give us daily bread, right? Sometimes we just need God to show up and provide. He's our father. So we're invited to, to bring him what we need to ask him for what we want unashamedly. We can approach his throne with confidence. God, I'm here right now and I need this. God, would you do it for me? We go to him for forgiveness. One of the things we want to be praying about often is our own sin, asking God for forgiveness, for grace, for help in fighting temptation, for help in putting our sin to death, for help in growing in our ability to say no to sin and yes 
to God. We bring our requests before him. If God is truly our father, like we just talked about, like the Bible says that he is because of Jesus on the cross, we get the freedom to come to him as children. I mean, think about a kid with their parents, right? Think about how a kid asks for things. Think about how he requests things. Children ask repeatedly, like just over and over and over again. Children are unafraid to be like, what about now? What about now? What about now? Yeah, but like, what about now? Two minutes later, what about now? They just ask over and over and over again. Children ask unashamedly. They just spit it out, right? They don't care who's in the room. They don't care who's around them. They don't care what their parents are going to think. If they want something, they ask for it. I don't care. I don't care what anybody thinks. I want this. Can I have it? Children ask for anything and everything. There's no limit to their requests from their parents. There's nothing that's, that's too big for their parents to get for them. Nothing too crazy. They ask repeatedly, unashamedly for anything and everything. And the good news is church, we're invited to approach God in the same manner. We're invited to approach him as our father. Jesus says we're invited, but not only that we're invited, but we must come to him as little children. We can ask. We can ask repeatedly. We can ask unashamedly. We can ask for anything and everything. Guess what? If it's outside of God's plan or God's will, he'll say no. That's all right. We can't be afraid to ask. To seek God deeply in prayer. So much more we could teach on and say about prayer. Just a few things the Bible calls us to in prayer. We're called to pray about our anxieties and cares and worries. First Peter 5, 7. We're told to pray without ceasing. First Thessalonians 5. We're told to pray alone. We're told to pray for others. We're told to pray in the spirit. All of this. But let me talk about how prayer is a part of our spiritual formation. Prayer like Sabbath, runs counter to the workism values and the pride of busyness of our culture and our society. We're told all around us to hustle after it, to achieve, to accomplish, to get things done. And, and prayer, if we're being honest, feels like the exact opposite of productivity, right? Like sometimes it feels like I've just wasted the last five minutes. My mind kept wandering. My, my eyes got heavy. It felt like no one was listening and I was just yelling at the ceiling. What is going on? This feels like it's not working. I love the way Pastor John Stark talks about it. He says this, he says, we fear the judgment of using our time inefficiently. You cannot prove your worth by your quiet prayers in secret. Could this be why prayer is difficult for our modern world? Do we find prayer useless because it's not useful? Maybe we've walked away from prayer and wondered, was that a good use of my time? Could I have gotten something done instead of praying? Do my prayers accomplish anything? The Bible challenges a utilitarianism. Church, are we too busy being caught in the rhythms of efficiency and hustle to stop and pray? To stop and sit with God, to be in his presence, which is the invitation and the wonder of prayer. Maybe we can't stop and pray because of our self-sufficiency. Like we talked about last week, prayer makes us dependent, makes us needy. We have to stop and ask God for what we need. And in doing so, we acknowledge, I can't do this on my own. I can't make it happen on my own. I can't get it done on my own. We're shaped by our culture to get it done and to not be needy, to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and just keep going. And prayer says, no, it's not about me. It's not about what I can accomplish. It's going to God. I'm not self-sufficient. I need help. That's a good thing. Paul Miller says it this way. He says, if you are not praying, then you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. Maybe we don't pray because we don't think God actually hears or does anything. 
because we're formed and shaped by the world around us to not think that there's actually a spiritual realm, to not think that there's actually a God who is working and moving and active that is not distant from our problems, not distant from our pain, not distant from our world, but is actually moving and active and working in it. And so we don't pray because we don't think God will actually work. We don't think he'll actually move. We might say we believe God is sovereign and in control, loving and mighty, cares about the details of our lives, but what does our prayer life actually say we functionally believe? We don't pray because we're too busy or we think we're too busy. We don't pray because we think we're self-sufficient. We don't pray because we think, well, this is all there is and God's not working and not active. He's not actually gonna do anything. All of these we've been shaped to believe and to think and prayer is a counterformation that says no, not too busy to sit with God in prayer. It's the best work actually that I can do. I'm not self-sufficient. I need his help and he cares. He's working, he's moving and he's active. So much more on prayer in our guide, tips, practical steps, all of that. Here's where I wanna close today. Baba reading and prayer, here's where I wanna close. Every relationship with any depth to it any meaning, any value, any solid foundation. It requires conversation and it requires time. And we have these spiritual practices, Bible reading and prayer that create this two-way street of communication with God. And I don't want you to hear me. These two practices, Bible reading and prayer are absolutely crucial for your spiritual growth and formation. You have to learn to carve out space and time to get in God's presence through his word and through prayer. You just have to, you won't grow without it. If you don't learn to put in the habits of prayer and Bible reading, you will not love Jesus and the things that he calls you to love more in five years. You just won't. And listen, this looks different depending on your season of life, depending on your circumstances, how much you can, time you can get, how much Bible reading you can do, how much prayer you can do, but none of us are without excuse. If you only have time for five minutes, that's great, do five. You only have time for, for five, great, that's do, do four. <laughs> Commit to this, carve out space, carve out time, be committed to this is how I grow. This is how I fall more and more in love with Jesus. This is how I am formed and shaped. So that means I'm gonna sacrifice for it. It means before I jump into work in the morning, I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna read my Bible. Before I watch that show tonight, I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna read my Bible. I'm gonna wake up 15 minutes early so I can pray and read my Bible. Whatever actions, whatever shifts, whatever sacrifices I have to make, it's worth it. I don't grow without it. I have a, a friend who's a, a pastor in Kentucky, uh, and this guy is, is super busy, has a ton of responsibilities. He's uh, at home, he has five kids, all under the age of 10, which is just enough to be busy alone. But in addition to that, he pastors a church of a couple thousand people, as well as he's the president of a large uh, national church planting network. And so he's got some stuff, right? He's got some stuff he has to do. He has a lot of responsibilities. His time is limited. And I remember just having a conversation uh, with him a couple years back, just asking him like, hey, how do you get through your day? Like you have so much pressing you. You have so much going on. How do you actually function? But not only function, it seems like you're thriving. Like it seems like you have a deep relationship with the Lord. It seems like you love your wife and your kids. It seems like you love your work. It seems like you're passionate about the things of God. Like, what do you do? And he shared a bunch of different tips and tricks and all of that. But, but two things in particular, I remember he said that stuck with me. He said, first, he spends time in God's word first thing every morning. Before email, before phone, before work, whatever, he gets in God's word. And sometimes it's, it's five minutes, sometimes it's 30 minutes. It doesn't matter, but it's his first thing that he does is he gets the truth of who God is in front of his face. The second thing he says is that he, throughout the day, he sets reminders on his phones. 
is four reminders to stop and to pray. He said, I just set reminders, 8 a.m., noon, 4 p.m., and 8 p.m. He said, it just pauses me throughout the day where I just set down my work and I just pray for five minutes. I just recenter my heart on the things of God. I remember how good God is, how he's active and working and moving in the world. I remember the goodness of Christ, how he died for me, how he loves me, and I remember the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what's getting me through the day. This guy's one of the most spiritually deep and rich and mature men that I know with the life that I want to emulate. And he points back to, hey, it's two simple practices, Bible reading and prayer. Bible reading and prayer. I get in God's word and I get in God's presence. I hear from him and I talk back. Bible reading and prayer. That's what we're going for this week. The question for us is, are we willing to make the sacrifices and to do the hard work of getting these disciplines as a part of our lives? So we're going for this week, carving out space, Bible reading and prayer. Let me pray for us. And we're grateful for you. We're grateful for Jesus on the cross. It makes it possible for us to know you, to be your sons and daughters. Thanks for your word. Thanks for revealing yourself through your word. Thanks for inviting us to pray. And we're grateful that we can be in conversation with you, that we can have a relationship with you, that we can love you, and that you loved us first. Help us, help us to carve out space and to sacrifice to get in our word and to pray to you. We love you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.